Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Stephen Hoffman, who is the CEO of Founderspace, which is a global innovation hub for entrepreneurs, corporations, and investors with over 50 partners in 22 countries. He is also the author of several award-winning books, including Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Forces. Thanks so much for joining us today, Stephen. Matt, it's fantastic to be here. I'm going to start us off with a question about the subtitle of your book, Making Elephants Fly, which is focused on the process of radical innovation. So let's start here. What is radical innovation and why is it so powerful? Well, most people, when they innovate, they do incremental innovation. Why do you do incremental innovation? Because it's simpler. Like you have a product, you're going to add new features, you're going to change the design a little, you can make it a little better, bigger, faster, whatever it is. This, and you do the same thing when you have a service company. So people are always innovating. But a radical innovation is where you break with the past. It's something wh where you try something that nobody has done before, or at least nobody has done it in the way you're doing it. And that change that you make adds substantial value. I call it extreme value to whatever product or service you're delivering. So it's a huge step up in value you are creating for your customers that they can't get elsewhere. That's radical. So basically, it allow, radical innovation, when you've done successfully, allows you to capture market share. It allows you basically to take customers away from other people and bring them to you because you have done something either so much better or you are offering, creating value that they can't get elsewhere and they have to come to you for that. I'm always interested in the people who jump on the show, their kind of origin story and maybe asked a, another way. The work that you do now is is fascinating and it's global and it seems like you work with a lot of different companies and a lot of different people. How does somebody get started going down this, this path? Like what's your origin story? Sure. So I've done a lot and I will go over it quickly. You know, I have an electrical engineering degree, undergrad, a graduate degree in film and television from USC. I entered Hollywood, worked my way up the ladder, became a TV development exec, and then I had an epiphany. I said, entertainment, this is a while back, entertainment is going digital, entertainment is totally going to change, games are going to be huge. Hmm. Got an opportunity to go to Japan, work for one of the largest game companies, and head up a big project with, at the time, it was with Michael Jackson, uh, launching that. It was called Sega. They had just surpassed Nintendo. So that was a huge step for me. And I was like, oh, games are going to be bigger than movies and, and TV. And people didn't believe me at the time, but I believed it. Stayed there a year. Then I jumped back to California, although this time, instead of Hollywood, I went to Silicon Valley. I launched my first startup, which was a gaming startup, made a product called Gazillionaire, uh, which is a game that actually, ironically, teaches people how to become entrepreneurs, which is what I do today, but in a game format. That product did incredibly well, went global. Uh, we It's still being used. It's still on Steam. Like you can play Gazillionaire today on Steam years and years later because it, it's just one of these classics that's so popular. Uh, I launched several more games. Then I did three venture-funded startups in Silicon Valley. After my third startup, 
I decided I'm going to help other entrepreneurs. You know, all my friends are coming to me. They're, my nickname is Captain Hoff. It's my gamer handle. And they're like, Captain Hoff, how do I do it? How do I raise capital? How do I go to market? How do I, you know, launch my startup? So I started helping all of them, formed Founder Space in San Francisco, Startup Accelerator. And then I saw another opportunity. Wow, there was a lot of entrepreneurs I'm working with here in Silicon Valley, but there are even more entrepreneurs coming from outside Silicon Valley, from other parts of the U.S., from Canada, from overseas, from all these countries overseas. In fact, over half the startups founded in Silicon Valley are from overseas. So we started branching out, and now we work all over the world with entrepreneurs. I travel 70% of my time, and we basically give entrepreneurs access to Silicon Valley. Like, where do you land? How do you get going? How do you raise capital? And how do you build one of those big businesses that people dream about? I, I definitely want to talk a lot about the successes and what you've learned on a positive perspective. And I hate to start on a negative front, but when you think about some of the organizations that you thought would be successful and they didn't end up being successful, and there was potentially a leadership issue, where do you think leaders get caught up? Obviously, in startups and in fast-growing companies, there's a lot of mistakes you can make. Where, where do you see leaders get caught up and make those mistakes time and time again? I'll tell you, there are a lot of mistakes uh, leader people make when they're doing a startup. And the most important person in the startup, by far, is the CEO, the leader right? They, they set everything. The biggest mistake they make right up front is they don't pick other great people. They settle for who's available. Like who could they get to join their team? A lot of times they don't have lots of money. And, and so they cut corners. They don't vet out. Let me put it this way. This is what a great leader does when they're doing a startup. And if they don't do this, they almost always fail. So number one, they, before I even tell them, don't worry about the idea. Like it sounds sacrilege. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm supposed to have an epiphany, the big idea that changes the world. I say, forget about the idea. The idea doesn't matter. What matters are the people you bring together. Because if you bring together good people, like you find some good people, good engineer, good marketing person, you know, good whoever else to join you in doing this, I almost guarantee you are going to fail. You're like, what? Good people. You don't need good people. You need great people. Because honestly, it's so competitive in the world today. Like if you're going to build a hyper growth startup, like the type we read about these unicorns, you need to have a great team. If you don't have a great team, you're not going to build a great product or service. You're not going to overcome all the different hurdles you have to overcome to scale and grow this company. I've seen so many teams with good or average people and they just, they get wiped out. Like it's a winner take all world, like especially in the world of venture capital, where like one or two companies in a, in a certain markets uh, sector get, you know, huge amounts of money, all their competitors just get pushed aside. So spend that time, find absolutely the best people. This is what great leaders do. Great leaders are the type who can attract people who would be working at Google or Facebook or Microsoft for six-figure jobs? You know, they, they why would an engineer give up a great job at Google, you know, where they get everything, including free lunches, and come work for a startup where they get nothing but like a piece of paper that says, I promise this will be worth something someday. And I can't even pay you anything right now. Well, because of the leader, because a great leader has the ability to convey not just what they're doing, but underneath how it will 
impact the, the team that's working for them. So people don't do stuff just for money. I know I don't. And I know most people in the world, they don't. Or if they just did things for money, nobody would, hardly anybody would join a startup because it's way too risky. That's why I call my book Surviving a Startup because, you know, 80 to 90% of early stage tech startups just disappear. I know that. Um, what they do it for is a belief. They believe, one, in that leader. They believe also that leader, they don't just believe in the leader. The leader encapsulates what that startup is supposed to accomplish in terms of value and mission. Like we are doing something that matters. This is what people want. They want to believe they're doing something that matters. We are doing something that is going to have a big impact on this world. And you can be a part of this. If you unite people around that mission and you find people who are already great leaders, don't settle. Remember, they're looking for the right people who really are ones who can believe in this, who all have the ability to execute and you bring them together, that's when the magic happens. So as a company, let's say this um, hypothetical company starts getting some traction and they're making it and they've hired great people, where do they get stumbled? Where do they find that stumbling point next? Or how do you take a, a company that now has a good idea, you're growing, you're, and you move it to the next level past the initial stage of, I want to attract great people and I want to really formulate this idea. Where do you see companies get hung up there? And where do you see the companies that really take off? What do, what do the leaders do well in that stage? Yes. So leaders of really good companies, first of all, if you hire incredible people and really are able to identify who can manage and who should be a worker bee, like, and put them in the right roles and you have to be able to do that. If you put people in the wrong roles, not going to work. Number two, if somebody isn't working out, and I see this all the time, leaders make the mistake. They keep giving them a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. You can't do that in a startup. If you're at a giant corporation, maybe because it's, you know, it's so big, it's already established. In a startup, even one subpar person on the team who can't pull their weight can kill your opportunity because teams are so small. Like one subpar person could be 25% of your company that isn't working because that person isn't working. So, or 10% of your company. So you have to, you literally great leaders. If somebody isn't working, they will analyze it. And if they figure out that person cannot do the job incredibly well, they will let that person go. They will make that tough call right away without delay and move on to filling that gap and moving forward. Number two, great leaders don't just talk. Like if you're in an innovation company, like a startup, you think leading is about talking. It's about telling people what to do. It's about giving them the vision. You do this, you do that. We do this next. Really great leader, actually. And I want your audience to try this. It's a great, it doesn't matter if you're in a startup or a, or a giant corporation or anywhere in between. I want every one of your audience to promise me they'll try this. For one week, go into your job. And as a manager, I want you to not tell anybody to do anything. How do you do that? Like, how do you manage without telling people what to do? There, it's, it's actually possible. You go to people and you say to your, your team members, like one of your engineers, what do you think is the most important thing you should be working on today? And then they tell you, how do you think that, what's the best way to get that done? Then they have to think, oh, my boss is asking, my boss isn't telling me how to get this done or what to do. I chose what to do and I'm going to tell him how to get it done. And do you think you could, is there a way for you to get that done faster? I know you said it'll take two weeks, but you know, we're under a lot of pressure. Is there a way to do it in one week? Every time you ask them a question, number one, 
they own the problem. Number two, they have to turn on their brain and actually think instead of just you telling them this has to be done next week, do it this way. I don't want to hear, you know, the, and number three, they're making a commitment because they're telling you what they're going to do. And then they feel obligated to do it. And they don't feel like you're pressuring them. They just told you they would get, oh, you know, oh, I think if I did this, I could get it done in a week and I could do this. And they will come up with ideas you never could come up with. Like, because their brain is working and they understand what they're doing probably better than you do as a boss. So all of a sudden they're telling you their ideas, you're forcing them to think. If there's a problem between employees, don't try to fix it yourself. How do you think you can fix that communication problem with Anne over there? You know, you, clearly you guys aren't communicating. Come to me with a plan for fixing this. You know, we need to make sure you guys are in sync. We're going to do uh, an event next week. What great ideas do you have? How can we make that event better than anything we've done in the past? Every single thing you do, even if you don't agree with them, and this is great leadership. Employee tells you an idea, like you say, how are you, how, how would you do this? And they say how they would do it. And you're like, you know, you've tried that before. It doesn't work. Like it's, it's, so what do you do? Do you just say, oh, that doesn't work. I tried it 10 times. You're, you know, don't do it that way. No, great leader would go, have you considered this? In my experience, we tried that and we had this problems. How would you overcome that problem? Is there a way for you to overcome this? And uh, then they have to think again, right? And have you considered other things? Like if this doesn't work, you run into the same problems. What other things, what other ways could you solve? Every time you can tell, you can literally manage without telling a person a single thing to do. Hmm. That's a really interesting um, framing to, to do it. And I want to pivot the conversation a little bit and talk about innovation and, and the future. And, and what brought me to this is some of the work that you've done around, um, I think it was your newest book, The Five Forces, which yes. focused on technology and how it's unleashing forces that will forever alter our, our lives. And although we don't have the time to investigate each of the forces, can you share a bit about what led you to the book and maybe one to two key takeaways that leaders should have to make sure that they're aware of some of these forces that can have an impact on, on how we lead and, and how we live? Absolutely. So what led me to do the book is that I am fascinated with our future. Where are we going? A technology is becoming exponentially more powerful. We already see, like with our phones, we're on our phones all the time. Now AI is dictating everything we do and learning everything about us and able to make decisions for us. What does this mean for all of us in our lives, in our business, in society? How will these technologies like artificial intelligence, gene editing you know, technology, CRISPR gene editing, which can create new species of plants and animals, nanotechnology, space technology, brain computer interfaces, all of this technology, VR and AR, they're all converging now. And they are poised to radically transform how we live and do business. So as a leader, you need to understand this. You don't need to understand all of it, but you need to have the big picture, first of all. And you need to understand that everything we do in business today is going to be done differently in 20 years. Like literally think about the internet and mobile and all these blockchain and all these things totally changed the way we do business, totally gave birth to all these new companies, created huge amounts of value. That process is not going to just continue. It's going to accelerate. You need to be able in your industry, in your business to say, oh, these technologies are coming. What type of people do I need to get on my team that understand them? I need to see the big picture so that I can know, wow, the business is going this direction. We need to keep an eye out for these things and start to plot a course. That's what leaders can take away. 
I definitely want to spend a little bit of time talking about you and, and your reflections on your life as a leader as we kind of close out a little bit today. So what do you wish you knew about leadership early on in your career? Or maybe asked another way, how, how have you evolved as a leader over the years? So one of the things I wish I knew as a leader is you can never fundamentally change another person. They can, people can change, but they have to want to change themselves. So a big part of leadership is not like if a, an employee isn't working, I've struggled with this. Like they, they just weren't working or working well or figuring stuff. I thought I could mentor them. I thought I could educate them. I thought I could guide them. But as soon as I start putting all my time into doing that, then I'm not doing my job as a leader. Like I'm literally putting all my time and I'm usually putting it into an underperforming employee, not a perform employee that's doing great. I found, and I wish I knew this earlier on because I made this mistake in some of my early startups, put all my time into the very best employees I have. And if an employee isn't worth putting time into, it's either because they're in a position they can do on autopilot with like, they don't need, you know, it's just, you know, answering phones or doing something simple or, uh, they aren't right for my company. And that, so really think about it. Who are your best employees? Because employees are amplifiers. So you put your time and energy into employee. There's two types of employees. One, they amplify it. The better they are, the more they amplify it every minute you spend with them. Or they're diminishers. They literally, you put your time into this employee and it gets good <laughs> because they're subpar. The more time it, it's wasted. Like you could have done, you could have done the job better yourself. That's what I learned. And, and finally, as we move into the rapid fire questions that I ask all the guests, the last question that I would ask you is you, you talked a little bit about the amount of travel that you do and the different hats that you wear on, on a daily or a weekly basis. How do you organize your time or how do you decide where to uh, put your focus in a given week or a given month, whether that be something that you found that works really well for goal setting, something that that's found, you found that works really well from a productivity perspective, anything you can share with our listeners that you've learned along the way? So I'm a huge fan of simplification. Mm -hmm. Keep everything as simple as possible. I am, uh, I I travel all the time. So I'm always going, I, I use lots of online tools. Like I use Calendly to schedule all my meetings. I only travel <laughs> with carry-on bags, never with anything more. I can go for three months or indefinitely with just carry-on bags. Like I'm so optimized. I, uh, you know, all my kind of inboxes and stuff, I'm always prioritizing them. Like mm -hmm. literally I'm one of those zero inbox people. Like everything gets like just sweeped away. It either goes into a folder. If it's really important, it'll go into a to-do folder, which I'll get back to later. That means I don't have to do it today. Otherwise it just gets acted upon. And if it's not worth acting upon, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just delete it and forget about it. Cause you know, 60% of the stuff you get uh, incoming is not worth acting upon. So that's what I do. And then I'm always in my life, like when I travel, looking for things I have complete conviction in, people I have complete conviction in, companies to invest in that I have complete conviction in, you know, opportunities that I have. If I sense myself, and this goes for everything from hiring to leading to uh, investing to everything we do, if I don't, if I find myself questioning whether is this really the right thing it's trust me there's a better thing i could be doing mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not the right thing so that's how i manage myself
Well, I am also an Inbox Zero fan, so it is uh, music to my ears to hear that. And that is a, a wonderful spot to shift us to our rapid fire question. So I ask these two questions to every one of our guests. And the first question is this. If you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that one word be? One word would be, would be, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> one word would be iterative, hmm. iterative. And the final rapid fire question is this. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is push for a no. That means when you're trying to get something done, and somebody won't do it, whether it's buying your product or doing something else, you just say, okay, you don't want to do it. You know, we're really busy. We'll move on because that gets them to make a decision because mm -hmm. a lot of people won't make a decision until you push until they are faced with a deadline. So like pushing for a no, when, when they're not giving you a yes, you're like, okay, why won't you do this? Okay. If it's impossible, let's just don't do it. Hmm. A lot of well, times they'll turn around and do it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stephen. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Uh, you can find me at founderspace.com, founderspace.com. Just come there. You can contact me. I respond to the emails if you put my name in there. You could, Tons of videos, tons of content for entrepreneurs. Submit your business plans if you you're, have an idea. You can also find me on all the social networks. Search for Captain Hoff or Founderspace. LinkedIn is a great place. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of the great insight. And as always, thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims. And you can find our organization at ability.com. That is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E.com. I want to thank Stephen again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.